After what was supposed to be a series sweep for the annual powerhouse Cleveland Cavaliers, the Raptors shrugged off a 2-0 series deficit to tie it at two games apiece. Expectations started to get out of control as Raptor fans saw Game 5 as their chance to show the world what Toronto basketball is all about. Instead, they got pummeled into the ground in a beating so bad it would put the Washington Generals to shame. As the team tries to regroup for a Game 6 matchup on home court, fans should take a moment to realize just how far this team has come and revel in what has been the greatest season of basketball this city has ever seen. Martin has flied out and grounded out. Now he lifts a high fly ball to left field. Gardner's going back. Gardner's still going back, and it's gone. The first home run of the season for Russell Martin. Martin with a fly ball to right field. This is well hit, and it's his second home run of the night. After going 124 at-bats without a home run, Russell Martin homers in back-to-back at-bats. Here it comes. It is a fastball, and it's lined into right center, a base hit, and it may be more. Polaris in to score. Travis digging for third, getting the wave home. Here comes the relay to the plate. Skips off the glove of McCann. Two runs are in, and Goins takes third on the play. Marner back to the line. Yo Levy takes his time, and he's got some of it, too. Takes the shot. It's in. Might have been a deflection right in front. Kachuk was there. Another power play goal. And he'll be the first man to the corner. And Brett, it's the winner. Back to Jones. He scores. Another beautiful play. Short-handed. Knights lead 3-1. Trying to get it again. Steals it. In front. Kachuk puts it into the open net. Another assist on her. Kachuk gets the goal. The Knights are going to win and they're going to go to the MasterCard Memorial Cup. James to the cutting, love denied by Biombo. Thompson swatted away, love with it. No, at the rim, Scola, and a loose ball foul. Taken by Ross, and Thompson, and Patterson with the electrifying throwdown. Yep. Here's Lowry. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the 6 Sports Podcast. Joining me today, Kyle Jackson and Andrew Canal, the co-editors of 6 Sports. We'll be talking a little bit about some Leafs that are still playing hockey this summer, the Raptors getting destroyed down in Cleveland, and the Blue Jays getting their second baseman back on the field. First... Let's talk about Morgan Riley and Canada's second straight gold medal at the World Championships. Kyle, did you catch any of these games? Did you see Riley play? I did. He was uh, he looked exactly as he did all season, just on a better team. It looked like he actually had players to pass to up front, and he was making good plays. He's, I believe he was the only forward on their power play most of the time, on their first power play, right? I'm sorry, only defenseman on their power play, which yeah, is pretty was, more remarkable. Yeah, he was playing the... Uh, the fifth man with a bunch of really good NHLers up front. He was, he logged the most minutes in the tournament for Canada, uh, including in the gold medal game over 25 minutes. Uh, he looks like a lock for the under 23 team at the world cup this, this summer. It, it was, it was really good. Um, is he showing that he is respected among, uh, among the league, among everyone as a top pairing defenseman now. Yeah, I think so for sure. Just based on the time he was getting at, at on Team Canada alone, that's just him playing that much is it signifies that he that other other coaches around, around the league respect what he can do on the ice. I don't actually remember who was coaching Team Canada, which is pretty bad, but none of us do. That makes me feel better. So <laughs> whoever it was respects Morgan Riley. I'm sure it's an NHL coach. Yeah, it's funny. He he came out uh, yesterday. Babcock went over there and watched most of the tournament, and Riley came out and said that he wa- he he almost walked right by him to go talk to Matthews uh, after the American Canadian game. 
basically he has nothing to say to Riley. He's like, yeah, you're you're really good. I need to go check on these kids that I might have in a, in a few months. One of those, Matthews, uh, was an absolute stud in the on in the tournament. Um, the number one center for a, an upstart American team. Now they they did, obviously they didn't have a lot of their top guys, but he didn't look out of place playing against NHL uh, defensemen and and another and other NHL centers. Is he has he locked up that number one now? Is, is that debate? done drew will bring you in what do you think i think especially when you look at what toronto's needs are like obviously he stands head and shoulders above everyone i think and i think he cemented that even among uh, against line who was still impressive at the tournament but it was pretty much line continued to just you know have an amazing shot and score goals whereas we got to see matthews in a little bit more of a, a spotlight on him because we don't really pay attention to switzerland all that much it's sort of just the myth of austin matthews that's where he played hockey. Oh. Yeah. Come on, Kyle. Keep up here. Um, well, during like the previous season, right, it's sort of just the myth of Austin Matthews sort of grew and he's playing in Switzerland and all this stuff, but you really got to see who he was um, against familiar competition so everyone like in North America can really contextualize where he actually is in his development. And then you throw in, like with the Leafs, they still do not have that big, you know, over six foot centerman. Like the other centermen of the future on this team are we don't know who are going to be the centermen but Kadri not very big Marner tiny Nylander tiny um and you look at the the stronger teams they all have you know um bigger centermen who can sort of shoulder the load right so for the Leafs anyway they need that and Austin Matthews is going to fit the bill so I don't think there's any debate anymore yeah, they they obviously they don't have one of those big centers yet. Um, Patrick Line, as you mentioned, won MVP of the tournament, but as you say, it's mostly because of his his sniper ability. Finland forced the puck to him a lot on the power play. I mean, don't don't I'm not taking anything away from his performance. Yeah, not it was to great, diminish it at all. But it's Austin also, Matthews. It's also keeping in mind the Leafs' needs, right? Like, yeah. And I know for a long time it's take the best player, take the best player, and Matthews probably still is the best player. But then when you factor in what the Leafs need, it becomes there's no debate, right? Yeah, there's no. They don't need another guy that might score in the NHL because there's no there's no guarantee that Line A will. I mean, I would put my money on it, but there's no guarantee. Their center position that we've talked about a lot on this podcast before. Uh, William Nylander not showing that he's a number one yet. Yeah, he's been struggling a bit uh, in it's the been, playoffs. It's been a no show for the Marlies <laughs> in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. The um, well, we might as well. We're going to touch on them later anyway. We might as well touch on those Marlies now. They're they had a lot of trouble with Albany in the in the last round, and now they've laid some eggs against Hershey, scoring only three goals in the first two games. What's wrong with this team? Is it is it a problem of it's not? There's too many of them. They're they're moving pieces in and out of the lineup too much, and these guys aren't used to each other. Is there a chemistry issue? I think that's definitely part of it, especially with all the new additions they've been able to add with like the Dermots and the Andreas Johnsons, even though he's in a dark room trying to breathe. Yeah, but the constant flow of new bodies in and out. It's like Limburg hasn't played in a while, and he had time with the Leafs this year, but the. Even though they're not scoring goals, it's hard. It doesn't even matter if your goaltenders are letting in seven goals a game, or. But this, the playoffs has really shown us is that we don't have legitimate NHL goaltending prospect as of right now. Sparks and Bebo both look brutal, especially in this series, because what Sparks had led like five saves and sorry five goals in relief on like ten shots yesterday, and Bebo led like four. I think on twelve shots it was. Regardless, this is not good. And this whole series has been like that. Yeah, it hasn't looked good. And when you look at just, I guess, the the positive spin that I'm going to try and take um, is going back to this chemistry thing with the uh, like the underwhelming performance from Nylander and, and some other players that a lot of Leaf fans might have been really excited about. It doesn't mean that they're, they're flopping or it was just a flash in the pan when they were with the big club. I think you look at how they dominated teams that just didn't have the same talent level earlier in the playoffs, and then you get to the later rounds and you start playing against more veteran teams, more cohesive teams, more like teams that have been together all season because they aren't really up-and-coming prospects. 
and they play like a, a pro team. Like the AHL isn't the NHL level, but these are still really, really good hockey players. And when you play as a as a well-constructed team, I think the the chemistry wins out over just raw talent. So I think the Marlies were bludgeoning other teams just based on raw talent, but now they're sort of running into some tough things here, and the goaltending obviously isn't helping. But I wouldn't overreact and say, oh, Nylander is underperforming, therefore he's not ready for the NHL. I still think we're going to see him with the club next year, and he's going to do great. So there's there's that little piece of hope, and that's all the optimism you'll get from me ever. (laughs) Do you think he plays 82 games, or at least uh, uh, when he's healthy, he's in the NHL? the entire season next year unless he comes out and is brutal in the preseason and looks out of place but as of right now what what he showed in his little stint he had at the end of the year he he's ready and he'll give be given the chance to unless his preseason is brutal or at any point in the regular season if he starts to look lost and and it becomes a detriment to his mental game right then you got. Then they still have the option to send him back down, and there's no harm in that. No, just you don't want it to be like how it was for Kadri for a couple of years, up down, up down. That's not good for anyone's confidence. No, if you got to make the decision, you got to make the decision. So if it if it goes, you've got to let him try and work through it. I think, and if no one's better than Babcock to try and help him through that. Um, but if they're gonna see that struggle, and if Nylander struggles for like say a full month, and you're just like, well, he can't handle, it, then you send him down, and that's just it for the season, right? Just sort of adapt. Yeah on your game and then come back training camp next season and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, Babcock is uh sure he's the guy to to bring him through it and and help his confidence, but he's also he's shown that he's very willing to send a guy down. Just ask Jonathan Bernier when the guy's an, an established NHL goaltender and he goes down and Garrett Sparks replaces him on the roster. Um or the variety of players in Detroit who he sent back and yeah. they were no worse for wear. And that's the thing, uh, you say that um, you, they did it to Kadri. Has it hurt his development? Kadri's, it's taken him a while, but he's turned into a pretty good NHL player now. I mean, maybe without some of that tough love, he doesn't become the defensive presence that he is now. He becomes Luke Shen. Oh, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> Luke Shen played deeper into the playoffs than any Leaf this year. I, I, that's fine, I'm just saying. But like with the Leafs, we there was that narrative of him just sort of being overwhelmed and sort of just left to... I don't know, die with the big club, right? Like, you adapt or die, and he didn't really adapt. And so he could, he probably could have used a year of seasoning, especially, like, I know it's, uh, Shen and, and Kadri, I don't want to get too far off topic, but Shen is his defenseman, right? Like, I wouldn't worry about the same thing with Kadri, and obviously not right now, or with Nylander coming up. No, I, I, I imagine they'll give him every chance to stay with the big club. Another guy that may need a year of seasoning, as you put it, is absolutely dominating the CHL tournament right now. I don't think how he can use seasoning at this point. <laughs> Sorry? I don't think how they can leave him down He's just playing anymore. now. He's just bored. He obviously can't. Uh, 13 points in three games. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough situation, like talking about Marner, who has, what, 13 points in three 13 games? 13 points in three games. In the Memorial Cup. Set an Not OHL yet. playoff record, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Like, this is ridiculous. And it's... It's a tough place for the Leafs because it's either OHL or NHL. There's no in-between. He can't go to the A. Um, and physically, like, he needs to have a big offseason in terms of, like, a pro workout summer, right? He's got to go see Gary Roberts. Yeah. But there's no way you can leave him in the OHL for another year. Because didn't his production actually go down slightly during the regular season? It, yeah, it, it was almost season. exactly the same. Yeah, I think so it was, like, like two good. points less. I don't, I don't think it's a necessarily a bad thing. It just shows that he's doesn't need to try and you saw some of the highlight reels like it's he's just messing with these kids seems yeah. like he could just score whenever he wanted there was a goal that max jones put in in the last game where he fed it out from the corner and the martyr had a wide open net the goaltender was on his back and instead of shooting it he faked out the defenseman and sent it back to a falling jones <laughs> to tap in there's like literally there was no reason for it but he just he decided yep not my goal today i'm Why gonna not? get four assists instead of four goals um, if I, this is completely hypothetical, especially the way that the Marlies have played, but if they could somehow force a game six against Hershey by winning the next two, would you bring Marner to them to, to finish the playoff run or should you sit him down, put, send him to Gary Roberts, like you say, and have him start training? 
I would personally give him a chance to play in the A just to see maybe he can play with Nylander and maybe Sparks Nylander too and maybe just gain a little chemistry between the two of them. Even and it, It'd just be fun to watch. And Honestly, it can't hurt when they're, they're down the series like they are. I know they got to win a couple games to even get there, but the, Sheldon Keefe hasn't been shy to put guys in and out anyway, so I don't, I don't think he'd be against putting him in, especially he, he might become their best player. <laughs> Yeah, he'd immediately become one of their biggest scoring threats. It'd be really fun, I guess, to think about, but probably the best thing for Marner is to really just focus on not having the body of, like, a 15-year-old boy. (laughs) Like, as as fun as it would be to see what he could do at the AHL level. But those are also men, and I would rather he just spend the sun maybe someone killing him in the AHL. Because I don't think anyone wants to see him possibly get concussed. Yeah, if a guy like Rich Clune takes a run at him in the corner... Just put him in, on Rich Clune's line. In, yeah. <laughs> game season. Or Rich Clune accidentally runs into his line mate, Mitch Marner. Um, like, it would be really fun to see, and I'm sure, like, from a skill perspective, there's no doubts, but just from a physical thing, you, now, see, I already have my optimistic moment of the day. Now I'm being pessimistic. It's just I'd be terrified of him getting hurt. And you want him to be physically ready in, it, in every way. Isn't that terrible that you're thinking that you can't put who a guy that's supposed to be our top prospect into an AHL game because you're afraid he's going to get hurt? Well, it's not just... But he's got to play in the NHL the, in like four months. I agree, but it's also at the end of a, a long season as well. He's probably mentally fatigued the longest season of his career, and you're going to give him extra games as well, add a step up of competition. Um, like I said, it would be really fun, and I'm probably overreacting, but why not? why not you just start training why don't you just start on him becoming an nhl ready player instead of like wouldn't it be fun if he helped them win a calder cup who cares about a calder cup i want a stanley cup so just get ready and become patrick kane okay marner just do that (laughs) that's great um going to those a little off topic yeah go ahead (laughs) but it has to do with the memorial cup my favorite stat after the the round robin three game robin was Every goalie's goals against average was above five, except the Knights goalie, because they because played London. Marner, yeah, <laughs> it was just it was it was. I remember seeing it; it blew my mind. Was like, Are you kidding me? It's not even fair. They honestly, they've looked like it's they've looked like an AHL team playing in the Memorial Cup. It, it, they're they are way too good, and it's not just Marner. That's the thing. It's it's like ten of them yeah. that are way better than the competition. Well, his whole line is absolutely dominant, and their future NHLers there. Yeah, and, and then, then there's Max Jones and Ollie you love you levy and like it's it just keeps going of guys that are that's what London always going to be They're impact helpless. players in in the NHL in in the NHL uh, we got to touch on the playoffs even though Toronto's not there but I don't really want to talk about what's happening in the playoffs <laughs> so much as a shout out to the San Jose Sharks and James Reimer and James Reimer <laughs> and. And, come on, and Nick Spalling and Roman Polak. You feel better before James Reimer, though he's not playing. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't seen the ice. Um, Doesn't matter. I don't know. I feel good for Polak because the amount of times he got punched in the face when he got to San Jose, <laughs> he's earned it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to raise something above his head because they've made it to the Stanley Cup Finals and with it improved a pick that we got for that James Reimer from a fourth rounder in 2018 to a third rounder in 2018 giving us 16 picks or something in the first three rounds over the next three years. It's unreal. It's a little much. It's, it's quite a few picks. Um, it means that Reimer, Polak, and, and Spalling are, were worth two seconds and a third. And all three of them are barely seeing the ice. I mean... I love it. Just go go for it, San Jose. I would love to see Joe Thornton raise a cup over his head. Yeah. And Marlowe. Especially if... Brent Burns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Especially if it's on the back of Martin Jones that everybody gave up on. Two teams just... He's out of really care. good. Yeah, he's really yeah, good. Yeah, he's really, really good. Um, The team that they're going to face, it looks, is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, yeah. Fuck Somehow. It's... Game seven. How can you pick one <laughs> or the other? <laughs> Damn, Ghost is going to play tonight. Oh, my. Did you see Bob McKenzie's cryptic t- tweets today? Yeah, he put I out didn't. a weird poll. Bob about, never puts out polls. There's something to it. <laughs> about Stamkos? 
playing tonight or not. He's like, I don't actually know anything, but I think he's going to play tonight. But then he puts a poll on what, if you think he's going to play. It is the most Bob coin McKenzie flip. Doesn't mess around. It is the most coin flip of coin flips this game seven. Like, but if they lose, then the Leafs get a better pick. Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. If Pittsburgh loses, yeah, yeah. So the <laughs> best thing that Stamkos could do for us <laughs> is play, win. <laughs> <laughs> then lose in four games and immediately sign in Toronto. <laughs> no, it's uh, good luck to those two teams. Everybody listening to this will be will already know the outcome of it and know what the Stanley Cup final is. Either way, it's going to be pretty um, exciting. But man, is a San Jose Tampa Bay final not what the NHL wanted when they had teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh set to be gone. I think they'd be okay with, like, San Jose-Pittsburgh, because at least San Jose has that California, you know, never-been-there-before mystique about it. Yeah, but instead it's going to be two sunny states <laughs> yeah, yeah, playing each other at opposite ends of the country in not even the biggest uh, city in each, of, in each state. It's, gonna, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good ratings-wise, but... I might watch a game or two. How many games have us together watched in these playoffs? But you're not that high. I watched a bunch of the West playoffs. I haven't watched much of the East. Mainly because the J game ends and then I would watch the West. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. Um, other than that, there's not really all that much hockey talk to get to. Again, I'd just like to give a shout out to Mitch Marner and the London Knights to win the Memorial Cup on Sunday and Canada for winning their second straight gold medal at the World Championships. I feel like nobody's really talking about the World Cup, but it's in like a few months in Toronto, which will be super fun when all of the best players in the world come down and get a little preseason tournament under their belts. We'll be back with some Raptors blowout talk. And welcome back to the Six Sports Podcast. Did a little bit of Leafs talk, uh, or tangential Leafs talk, I guess. Now we have to talk about the greatest show on floor. That was terrible. <laughs> it was. The Toronto Raptors, the uh, Eastern Conference finalists. <laughs> what did you guys think about Game 5? We'll, we'll ask Drew. Uh, you're more of a basketball fan than the other one, than the two of us. What'd you think of, of, (laughs) of the other one over there? I was, um, that was upsetting. (laughs) I, I'm just full disclosure. I watched half of the third quarter and none of the fourth quarter because I had better things to do with my time. So you didn't see the comeback. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think everyone turned Um, it off too early to see the comeback. Just. As I point out in the article I post today on SixSports.com, um, heading into halftime, I'm surprised I came back to watch any of the third quarter, to be honest. But heading into halftime, they were losing by the largest deficit in conference finals history. Um, so that pretty much, like, isn't that all you need to hear? Like, they, it was the largest, like, it, probably at the end, there's been more blowouts. I don't, I can't recall. They lost by 38. They, like, yeah. they were trailing by over 40 at one point. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I was under the delusion that like you know oh they're trailing by less like they're not getting doubled up anymore. Here comes the comeback when it was like fifty one to twenty six. Yeah, in the was... second quarter, halfway through the second quarter, <laughs> like it was, and it wasn't just that they were getting beat. Like Cleveland's a really good team, and they were shooting well. And like full credit to a very good team playing well, but. When you're watching a game, it's just so frustrating after seeing them play so well in two consecutive games to not only go back to what it was in games one and two, but to get actually worse. (laughs) And the defense to be just, like, I don't even understand what's going on half the time. Like, just leaving Channing Fry open, like, double-teaming Tristan Thompson. Like, I saw one play where it was, like, a fast break, and there's two guys covering Tristan Thompson 
in the key, and Channing Fry's just like sitting out there being like, "I'll take a three ball, thank you." He's in like seventy percent in yeah, the playoffs. He's right missed now. like he's, two. I think he's like twenty-one. At one point during the game, he was like twenty-one for thirty something, yeah. like thirty-three in his last like however many shots. Like, um, it was ridiculous. And and then on offense, it was sloppy, just like. DeRozan throwing a pass to Lowry and it literally bouncing out of his hands and then LeBron dunking. Like, it's just... It was a sloppy, 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 sloppy game. That being said, they're into game six. They've made it to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals after losing by, like, a combined 60 points in games one and two. So, I'm actually pretty happy with with where the Raptors are this season. And... I would not be at all surprised if they force a Game 7. Like, the way they've played at home, I'm fully expecting it to go to Game 7 now. Cleveland hasn't won in, in the ACC this year either, right? No. Like the Raptors have yeah. not even come close to winning in Cleveland. But. I, did they win one of their games this year in Cleveland or not? Because I know last season they destroyed Cleveland in Cleveland. So it might have been the year before. Because so they, the um, they only played them three times, two home and one away. But, um... But yeah, it's just I at this point like I wouldn't even look at the score. So for a lot of fans who would look at the score and be like, "Oh, they got blown out. It's all over." It's just like after the first quarter they're down by 19. Just the game's over. Nothing after that counts because it's no longer a real basketball game because just the one team is just resting their players because they know they've won. To be fair, both teams rested their players. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, one team, only played 29 minutes. Like. One team rests their players because they know they've won. The other team rests their players because we got to regroup for game 6. And at, after that, you have bench going against bench. The bench players are professionals. They know it doesn't matter. So you, like, you, there's nothing to learn from this game. All we can take away from Game 5 is the Cavaliers are really good, and sometimes the Raptors are really bad. And guess what? We already knew that. So Game 5 is a wash. Forget about it. Game 6, if they win that, then Game 7, and then who knows? Maybe something insane will happen. But the disappointing thing for me was how bad it was from the start of Game 5, considering that I believe that that was the one legitimate chance the Raptors had um, to take this series. Because heading in, I was iffy, like, you know, it very well could have... I didn't think they were going to get swept. I thought they would win one game, um, maybe two, if they could steal one in Cleveland, in, and I was expecting it to be Game 1. Um, but the Raptors surprised me, won both games at home. And then it's just you got to ride that high, and maybe if you're gonna, if there's any time to win, it's Game Five in Cleveland. Because I don't see like LeBron, it's Game Seven in Cleveland. LeBron, he just won't let it happen. Like he hasn't had to score more than thirty points this entire series. Like entire playoffs, he's no thirty point game. Well, and isn't that kind of a terrifying thing about this Cleveland team? Is just because like maybe maybe I'm misjudging it here. And LeBron can't turn it on to another level, but I'm pretty sure shooting 65% or 63% these playoffs, he can turn it on to another level and be like, oh, we need 40 tonight from me. Yeah, if they ever shut down Irving and Love, he could take over. But like, it's, that, it's not why, like. Why wouldn't he have done it in game three or four when they kind of needed him to? I guess it's true. But in both of those games, like, he had. I think game three, J.R. Smith played really well. And then game four, Kyrie played really, really well. Like, he was sort of fighting his shot a bit, but he still played a really good game. It was just Kevin Love or Kyrie had bad games, and I don't know. Does the experience that the Raptors have had in the first two series of game sevens lend any chance to taking a game seven from Cleveland? Or because those two game sevens were on home court... Does it really not make any difference? Well, they're undefeated in elimination games this playoffs, which is kind of good. Well, yeah, they would be. Is that what four zero, five zero? I don't know. Still. They'd be eliminated if but, they were. Well, obviously. But but you know what I mean? Like the the Cavs have only played four games. They've ne- they, they've never even come close to an elimination game. I would say maybe for most other teams, but not a LeBron James led Cavs team. Who got like they got to the NBA Finals last season, right? So it's and not lost like in the, Game Seven. Yeah, but it's not like it's a this is new territory for them. I'm 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 really looking forward to actually, and I know this season's not over yet, and the Raptors still could win and pull this out and go and probably get destroyed by OKC, because um, I think it's going to be OKC. I don't see 
Golden State winning three in a row. Um, not the way they're playing, at least. They're getting no, pounded worse than the Raptors. Not the way Westbrook is dominating Steph Curry, no. Um, but I'm really excited for next season and what this experience and getting over that hump and that you know self-belief and self-confidence that this Raptors team will have going into next season and, and another year of Masai making this team better and better, which he seems to do every year. Um, that could be really, really exciting. And the turnaround for Kyle and DeMar, like it, it sort of brings into the conversation is, is DeMar now worth a max deal? Like I, he was going to get a max deal anyway, but I mean from like a personal Raptors fan's perspective, is he now worth max money? So yeah, let's talk about last, or next year then. As much as a lot of people listening are probably like, screw that, let's still think about uh, game six. But, but there's not a whole lot to talk about. Yeah, right? what are like, we what are we supposed to say? They better come out better because they got beat by 38. I mean, well, Demar's got to shoot more. To to be honest, like what Norm Powell took more shots than him. Demar took eight shots. Again, Demar's only on the court for like 30 minutes. In, Norm Powell played like ten. In, yeah, but the game was 11, over after the first quarter, and then if you watched, like I saw a bit of clips of the fourth quarter and like through the third, it was basically just like the Raptors got the ball and they were just chucking. Like they like the shot clock. I don't think it got down to single digits basically like it was run down the floor and shoot so but okay so let, let's talk about next year regardless of what happens to Demar, has have these playoffs uh changed your mind on anybody else on the team have they have they improved their stock have they dropped their stock other than kyle lowry and demar DeRozan, and that's who everybody's talking about um have any of the bench bench players proven themselves to be more than bench players or guys that ha- that have been starters this year prove that they should not be. What do you think? Any anybody in particular? Bismack Biombo. Well, let, let's talk about him separately because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about him. <laughs> okay, well go ahead then. We'll, we'll come back to this. What what about Bismack Biombo? What do you think? What what is what is he going to get on the open market? What is are the Raptors going to be able to bring him back? Do, should they even try to bring him back? Should they tie that much money up in the center position between him and JV? I don't think they should bring him back if he's going to get what the reports are. There's some reports saying he can get upwards to $17 million now. Yeah, I, I saw 19 today. Well, he kind of looks like Ben Wallace at this point in the playoffs. If he comes anything close to that. It's still like a small sample. I know it's not really a thing they talk about in basketball a lot, but it's still like... The guy's been on a tear, and I know he stepped in well for JV in like isolated things, and we, he had like some huge games, but he also had a bunch of games when JV was gone where he didn't overly dominate or impress, right? And he's still like a rim protector who gets a ton of rebounds, gets a ton of blocks, doesn't score a lot, can't shoot from the line, can't really pass the ball, can't dribble the ball, can't control the ball. He's very limited, and, it, and it's not to say that he's not a great player. He does what he does amazingly well, but I don't see how that is then worth nearly $20 million a year. Like, I would say, like, you know, in the 10 to 12 million range. I still wouldn't give him that, though. You can't. No, no, I wouldn't give as As the Raptors, I wouldn't. But that's what I would say he was worth on another team. Whereas with the Raptors, like, you're already locked up with JV. You can't afford to pay starting money to two centers. It's not like he's versatile enough to play multiple positions. It's not like you're getting a sixth man who can play the, the four or the three or the three or the two, right? And then you can get into that region of money because he's more versatile. But with Biombo, I know last night they tried JV and Biombo at the same time. I don't know if that would ever work, but and last night wasn't the time to actually think about it, but I don't see that happening. It, it doesn't seem to make any sense, the way the, the NBA is going at least, to be like you can't have Biombo guarding a perimeter four. Like who is supposed to run out to the line at that point with both of them on the court? Well, he's actually been really good at defending like the perimeter. Um, like they've been matching him up against LeBron. A couple like at, during the homestand there. Yeah, but but, but like, I know what you mean because he he's more designed. Like if you play him at the four, he has to follow. You have to change your defense around, and maybe you're having your center then push out there. But either way, you're vacating the paint, and that's where Biombo really rises to the challenge. And that's what I mean when when they do stuff like that, like Biombo playing trying to guard Kevin Love or or LeBron right now. He's a guy that goes 20 minutes and only gets four boards and zero blocks. And that is that a max deal guy to play like all right defense out on the perimeter and not get any boards or blocks? Is that who you're going to pay? Because he's also not giving giving you anything on the offensive glass. Like it, it's he seems like such a an amazing presence until he's not for a game, and that is not what you need from a backup center on your team, right? You need a guy that you can rely on to go to 
to give you certain things every single game. And to he doesn't need to be a, a game breaker. Not for what he's getting paid right now, right? But like if he, but he's going to get way more money, and so he doesn't fit in Toronto. But he's going to be a starter somewhere just based on this, probably. Yeah, and get paid more than JV. Yeah. Which is, to me, unbelievable. Because in, in my head, he's the guy that we should be talking about in this playoff that, have, that has exploded onto the scene. Well, and that's all we were talking about, right, till his injury. So. Right. And, and rightly so. He was the best player on the floor for the Raptors. He was the only reason that they weren't just ba- being like rushed out of the first round again by Indiana. Yeah, yeah he, he, not to say he won them that series, but he's a big part of why the Raptors are in the Eastern Conference Finals. He kept them in it when DeMar and Kyle couldn't hit a shot and when no one could score. He was, he was the only one who showed up for the first, like, what, four games? And, uh, and Norm Powell. Yeah, who's, who's disappeared more yeah, than yeah, he's, he's disappeared, disappeared entirely, but um, the two of them were were the big parts until Lowry and uh, DeRozan got their stuff together. And I mean, JV is still only twenty four. It's not like he's an old man. He almost only twenty three. Definitely, which is also and, crazy. And he'll get paid. Sign in trade. <laughs> Sign in trade. Yeah. Okay, but let's get back to that uh, that other question. Who else has has impressed or? disappointed in this playoffs for you guys at times i've been a little disappointed with damari carroll um i was expecting a little more i i know he was hurt so it's unfair for me to fully judge him and and he's probably you know even as he's ramping up to like you know 100 percent, it's still like game speed and everything else right but like he didn't really slow down paul george he i he's not really doing anything I didn't expect him to do anything against LeBron personally because he was on Atlanta last year and LeBron averaged over 30 points a game and like a double double against Damari Carroll so I don't know why anyone was thinking like oh against Cleveland Damari Carroll will do what LeBron is a freak of nature he will like pick up Damari Carroll with one hand and dunk with the other like you can't like I don't know what we respect expecting from Damari Carroll um but I guess just what he was billed as um he has been somewhat disappointing especially his shooting has been like really hot and cold I was expecting a little more consistency from him. Um, on the positive side, <laughs> no one. <laughs> <laughs> flashes of Terrence Ross, I guess. Um, he he, he has than he, he has looked really good at times, and he's sort of he has disappeared at times, but not in like the disappearing Terrence Ross way, where you're just like, oh my god, Terrence Ross is just terrible. It's more <laughs> been just like, oh, he's a bench player. You just love right. Terrence Ross. I do love. I do have an irrational <laughs> love for Terrence Ross. Just, has he has he shown enough to be included in a starting spot? No conversation next year. No, I don't think so. Um, as it is right now, you would still start Damari Carroll, right? If the team stays the same, like you would still have Damari and Demar as your as your uh, two three. Um, Terrence Ross doesn't show me anything otherwise. What it? What if Demar leaves? Then who, they better who, find someone who moves into that spot. Kevin Durant, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they can't find someone via free agency or trade, then I guess you consider it like the way Norman Powell played during the regular season. I guess would be the the front billing. But then you have Norman Powell, who was really good defensively, and Demari Carroll, who's known for his defense. Like, where's your offense coming from? Do you just hope that Terrence Ross becomes what we all hope he could be? But if they lose Demar, they're going to have to. They have to find a power forward in that in that in that case. And in my opinion, a, a scoring power power forward who can start. That's the only I way guess, this yeah. works. Then you if have, they lose tomorrow, they need a power forward. Then you have an offensive front court, yeah, right. And then you have just a defensive, like you know, sort of mid range, like your two and three. And then you have Kyle, right? So yeah. that's the only way it, it works out. I don't know. That's all I can think of because I say Kevin Durant, but it's not going to happen. So yeah. Not after he wins an NBA who championship. Are, who are the available like fours? They'd have to find a trade, I think. Yeah, but they, but they have Horford. a lot of assets, though, right? That they could trade. Al Horford would be great. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> Something against Al Horford. <laughs> Always have. There's also the draft, right? There's yeah, and there's a lot of good, really good power forwards. Yeah, in this in this draft, a lot of offensively gifted ones as well. But they um, want to have the immediate impact. Most of them. Most of them depends where the Raptors fall because, like the well, they fall the pick ninth, right? I mean, where the where the power forwards fall rather in the draft because there's a it's it's still really up in the air on how they'll get picked, and there's some that are 
you know, higher upside who might go higher, but they won't have an immediate impact. So the immediate impact ones might actually end up falling to the Raptors. It's just they don't have the same ceiling. Yeah, yeah. The names don't leave off because I'm not really good with college basketball and the prospects. I wrote an article about it. It's up there. Names are gone. One of them had a weird name. I just think his name was like Skull. Yeah, Skull. Yeah, that guy. Median impact. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is some analysis from Andrew Canal right there. Some guy named Skull. (laughs) Take it to the next level. Um, If they don't sign DeMar, though, like... It's probably a step back year, to be honest, right? Like, maybe not like postseason performance, but I, in terms of regular season dominance, I, I wouldn't expect a, a fifty-eight win season. Um, but you never know. Like, maybe JV gets more opportunity, and they actually run the offense through him more, and then maybe Kyle takes more of a leadership role, being the being the main focus on the offense. There's a whole bunch of there are a lot of X factors, and more more than JV taking a bigger role, JV playing more than. Yeah, fifty-five games or sixty games or whatever, right? Yeah, and having a full year of Damari Carroll instead of like ten games. Well, those are two. Those are two big question marks too, because they both like JV and and Carroll have had injury problems in the past. So, (sighs) lots of questions for next season, but we still got this season. So you know, game six tomorrow night. Yeah, Raptors are going to win. Most (laughs) of you that are listening to this will be gearing up for it tonight. Again, it's an 8.30 start. I, I hate the 8.30 start, but whatever. I get it for prime time. Um, tune in tonight, I guess, to see the Raptors force a Game 7. Get your, get out into Jurassic Park early because it'll be full by 4 o'clock or so. Did you see Jurassic Park after the game yesterday? I didn't. Oh, it was scarce in the fourth quarter. There was like 12 people there. <laughs> and they were probably all obliterated. Come on, Raptors fans. you got to stay out there the whole time. Nobody leaves the game early this time. None of us watched the ticket. Whatever. To be fair, if we trekked down to Jurassic Park, we would have been there. Or we would have been in a bar. Yeah, we would have watched the Blue Jays close out a game. That, in fact, is what I was doing. I switched over to the Blue Jays at half. And watch them beat the Yankees. We'll talk more about that right after this. Segue to that. Welcome back to the final segment of Six Sports Podcast. This is episode six. Joining me again, Kyle Jackson and Andrew Canal. We took a little break from this podcast for a couple weeks while we dealt with some other stuff, but now we'll be back trying to do it every week, bringing you all the information and opinions for Toronto sports. We've just added a couple new writers to our staff. Got to give a shout out to them. We saw our first TFC post go up the other day. But most of our content these days is covering the Toronto Blue Jays. Those 23 and 25 disappointing Blue Jays. Yesterday, they got some great news. Well, followed by some bad news, I guess. Devin Travis is back. He was at second base yesterday, got a hit, scored, scored a run, struck out twice. It was, a, it was a pretty good day overall. Troy Tulowitzki injured again. Hopefully just for a couple days. Doesn't sound super serious as he's on the bench today. Like, he's yeah. active as a pinch hitter. They're not going to use him, but doesn't sound serious at least. Heard his uh, quad sliding into second base when there was no throw. Just like Troy Tulowitzki is bound to do. What is What does Devin Travis mean to this team? Is he going to be a big impact? Can he turn this club around? He's the savior. <laughs> Uh, hopefully he can kickstart the offense, just his presence there, maybe deepening the lineup more so than what it should be already. But if he can come in and be close to a 300 hitter, he won't have as much power as he did last year, I don't think. But if he comes in and he gets on base a bunch, maybe it just, we we have a, we're still like what, fifth in the league in home runs or five home runs down the league. So we've hit a lot of solo shots. Yep. So if we have men on base, we win a lot more games than we've won. I think Donaldson has, Donaldson has 11 home runs and 23 RBI. That's a yeah. 
It's a lot of solo shots in that mix there. Yeah, he scored 37 runs but only driven in 24, which is pretty unbelievable from a guy hitting in the middle in the middle of those those few. Moving Bautista up to first will help that, obviously, um, and he's fared pretty well in this unconventional lineup. Does Travis take back the leadoff spot in a few weeks, though? If he performs um, as a leadoff hitter should, like, like if he gets similar to what he was producing last season, because unconventional lineups aside and, you know, how well like Bautista's betting over 300 since he's been moved to the leadoff spot. You still want, I guess, that prototypical lineup with a leadoff hitter, and you want to put Bautista in a position where he's going to come up to the plate with runners on, right? Um, and last year was a bit of an anomaly with the 7-8-9 hitters hitting way above what you expect from a 7-8-9 hitter. So if Bautista was leading off that lineup, then he'd probably see a lot of, you know, two men on or whatever. But as it is right now, you... Um, want to put him in a position where his power is really, really emphasized. Can't, hopefully, that happen from the, the leadoff spot, though, if the 789 hitters turn into Tulowitzki, Martin, Travis? Or, I guess, Tulowitzki, Pilar, Travis? Yeah. I mean, that should have at least enough guys on to get him some people in, on in front of him, right? And then giving Jose Bautista as many at-bats as possible seems to be the best way to do this because some of the other guys on the team have been just terrible so far. I mean, Edwin Encarnacion, I I get that he still drives in some runs. He still hits home runs. He doesn't have the power that he did in the last few years. He's not getting on base at at as high a rate what can the Blue Jays do about this situation? Are they just going to ride it out, offering him a qualifying offer and let him go? Or is this a guy that they want to extend? Or is this a guy that they want to ask to waive those 5 and 10 trade rights and move him, say, to the Mets, who just lost Lucas Duda for the rest of the season? With the way the Jays are playing and Edwin alone, I think it's best for them to look into any trade scenario if they can get him to waive his, his clause. But that being said, I don't know if he would because he loves playing in Toronto. He loves playing with Batista and all the other good players. But he's just not the right. He's his on base is like three hundred five the last month. He's sitting with no power. He just doesn't look like the same threat. Like if they might have to move him down the lineup, like you're moving everyone else around. He's the only one who stayed in the same spot. Him and Donaldson, obviously, but maybe move him down as well, and maybe kickstart something for him and he think maybe gives him a kick in the ass and you figure something out or it can't really hurt at this point no he's um he hasn't deserved to be hitting third or fourth so far this season and and i understand we've talked about this before edwin is the type of player that all of a sudden by next week could bang out seven home runs and and totally turn his season around but he's also a player that's now 33 about to turn 34 he's been banged up the last few years. He can't play the field on a regular basis. He's just not very valuable to them right now. He's 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 performing at almost replacement level value. They're like a guy hitting league average in the DH spot and and per- performing poorly on the bases and and not giving you any defensive value. That's not a guy you want to be paying lots of money to, is it? No. <laughs> yeah, not no, no, not at all. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of people would look at Edwin and and sort of see sort of the surface numbers that he's somewhat comparable right now to like like Donaldson and Bautista have been struggling, so why pick on Edwin? But Bautista still leads the league in walks. He seems to be coming around. Still has the power. Donaldson still has the power. It's just been going through a rough month, just like all the rest of the Jays. But um, Edwin is the only one where all the sort of the peripherals right like the quality of his hits the extra base hits the power the walks like everything else is sort of trending downwards and it's, it's just been a lot of singles right where sort of sort of in the same way as like russell martin until yesterday right with his two home runs so good job russ hopefully that helps <laughs> um he missed a third just by a couple oh, yeah. feet as well i mean it was a heck of a game for russ martin um, 
I understand that that like one game doesn't mean he's turned it around, but boy, was it good to see. He put some good swings on the ball yesterday. Well, I know it doesn't really, it doesn't come out in the box score as well, but, and, and before Tula got injured, I would say the same for him, but him and Russell Martin were both starting to hit the ball hard and not just like turning on them, but like going the opposite way and finding a lot of gloves, unfortunately. Like there were a lot of times that Tulo has been robbed of like home runs by a foot or lining them right at the right fielder or left fielder. And sort of Martin was beginning to show that as well over the last couple of games and then finally sort of busted it out yesterday. So um, hopefully that's a trend that can continue. Hopefully Tulowitzki can come back healthy and isn't losing a step. And then with Travis back in the lineup and everything else going on with the way Bautista's turning it around at the top of the order. Only two games under 500. They're beating the Yankees right now. Everything's going okay. <laughs> <laughs> Considering they're... Considering there are only two games under 500, the fact that they have seven of their nine regular hitters are all hitting under 225 in the last month, in the last three days, which is ridiculous, the fact that they're even winning any games. The only ones hitting over are Smoke and Saunders, who have been the only people to show up night in and night out so far. Justin Smoke's been unbelievable. I know I know, Gavin's said that since the beginning. He was his X-Factor in the beginning of the year on this very podcast, but... Ryan Gones is hitting 120. <laughs> He's not going to play. Ryan Gones is going to be in Buffalo in a few days. Yeah. He has to. Like, like Barney's going to be the one staying up, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bad move if they do anything different. But, like, Batista's in 206 in the last 30. They're all, like, the same numbers. Like, Martin, how much, how much credit, sorry, how much, uh, how much, uh, fuck. <laughs> Cut this out. <laughs> Bleep. How much what? How much leeway? How much rope? How much? How much rope have we given Jose Batista consideration that Russell Martin's hitting only a few points under him in the last like, thirty days, but everyone's been kicking Russell Martin while he's been down. I know the power is probably the difference part, but and, and the fact that Batista leads the league in walks, yeah. like you were saying, like he he's still walking more than he's striking out. The, he's he's still an excellent excellent hitter whether his average is ever going to climb above 250 again. Well, and Bautista had that one, like, not his insane breakout year, but, like, I think that was the following year he bet. Like, for the season, he hit, like, 230-something, didn't he? But he had, like, 49 home runs. Yeah, he's he's not a 300 hitter. He's never going to be a 300 hitter. He'll be a 250 guy with a 380 on-base percentage, which is still an excellent player. Another guy that, that is has a 380 on base percentage right now is Michael Saunders. And you mean Jay Bruce? The guy we I didn't. For, yeah, exactly. We were, we were, <laughs> we were this close to trading him away. And now I actually think that they should be extending Michael, Michael Saunders right now. He's also a free agent this summer and like they, they can't wait to have for him to have a whole breakout year. They should be giving him a two to four year deal right now. Because his price is only going to go up, right? Right. Like, if, if he goes through a whole healthy season, and well, and I know he's had injury problems in the past, but if I recall, like they're not all like the same injury being reaggravated over and over, right? It's sort of like glass skeleton syndrome or something. But like, hopefully, he's <laughs> yeah. around that, right? So Joffrey Lupul syndrome. Yeah, let's hope it's not that serious. <laughs> yeah, that may, maybe we shouldn't be extending him then <laughs> if he has that. What do but mean, I mean, don't so well for the Leafs. When the guy's been healthy, he's been a, an excellent major league player. And this year, he's healthy and showing that he's an unbelievable major league player. I mean, he, he's got a bid for the All-Star game at this point. He's playing great. Hitting 312, 380 on base and slugging 567. I mean... And a very, like, average fielder. Like, he's not a bad fielder. Maybe a little below average. I don't yeah, know. But, but for, even, left, for a left fielder. Yeah, for though, a left fielder. Even right. if he is a little below average, he's, he's an excellent hitter this year. We had so. Chris Colbell playing left field last year. For we me. had Danny Valencia playing. <laughs> well, that's a step up I from Colbell in the field. I Valencia right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's where Ryan Goins can play. Maybe he can be a, a super utility guy in Buffalo. <laughs> or Oakland likes our utility guys. <laughs> yeah, but then he'll hit. 40 bombs next year somehow. Yeah, but if we get like Donaldson 2.0, <laughs> Oakland doesn't have that. So we got to touch though on Kevin Pillar as well because the guy is an excellent defender but can't hit his way out of a shoebox. He just swings at, at anything. 
and I understand that that's his that's his plan up there. He wants to be aggressive, wants to put the ball in play, but he's been awful again this year. Now is this a guy? And I don't always mean to just be suggesting trade this guy, sign that guy, do all this stuff. But with him getting up into his late twenties and defense, especially in center field, declining rapidly once you approach thirty. Should we be looking at a if they can't turn this season around? Should we be looking at dealing him sooner than later to try to get any of this value? I mean, I think they probably should have been looking at that when he was on that three hundred hot streak earlier this year. Now he's hitting. I don't know. It's just when when he was hitting super hot, you just you're just hoping that the team is going to come around, right? Like you're not even considering that they're going to not be a playoff team. And now that he's sort of dropped like he struggled like he's a hot and cold hitter like he could easily the next two weeks end up hitting like 300 again um and that's just what he is he's going to be at the bottom of your order and give you gold glove defense and i honestly i don't really have a lot of concerns about kevin pilar especially the way he plays and the style he plays he's never going to be the guy who when his contract expires the jays give him something stupid like a vernon wells contract and the jays end up screwed for years so um the amount of value that he brings, I think everyone in the league knows what he is. So you're not going to get a whole lot for him, so I don't know why you just don't ride it out with him for as long as his defense can carry him and then just live off of his little hot streaks at the bottom of the order. That's fair, I guess. Because um, it also, like, his his poor bat again. Like, everyone's individual struggles are exacerbated by everyone else's individual struggles, right? Because it makes the entire team struggle. If Bautista, Donaldson, Edwin, and Tulo, and Martin are all playing the way we expect and Kevin Pillar's playing the way he is, we're not talking about it, right? It's just each player is crap, so we have to talk about how each player is crap. <laughs> um, I mean, you say crap, like they're struggling lately, but Donaldson and Bautista are still wonderful players. They're still they're, they're producing at a great level. Saunders and Smoke are having career years. Kevin Pillar is is not he this this might be what he is and you just live with it but it's not good enough it, it especially if he's going to decline over the next few years in center field and he'll he'll turn into ryan goins instead of well no, let's not take, say things we can't take back but he's hitting like as as bad as ryan goins this year he's a terrible major league hitter is he reed johnson 2.0 or reed johnson was an excellent hitter he, he's he was a way better hitter than Kevin Pillar is. Right. He took walks and he got hit by a million pitches. <laughs> the thing is that Kevin Pillar is a way better fielder than Reed Johnson, and I get that. And I think some people would give a lot of value to that, the same way that they give it to players in the past, like Kevin Kiermeyer or Angel Pagan or. Well, if you, I, I think if you just if you look at Kevin Pillar in the context of his team, of this team anyway, um, the struggles that he's been having lately, the way he started the year and the way he played last year, I don't know if we can say like this is who he is right now. I think he's probably a little better than he is right now, um, not in terms of his on base because he's never going to walk, but in terms of his batting average, he can probably be like a two sixty, two sixty five hitter, right? And then his defense, and then if everyone else plays better. And now that Devin Travis is back, we don't need Ryan Gones anymore. At the beginning of the year, a lot of people were just like, oh, I can set, be happy with Ryan Gones at the bottom of my order hitting like 220. Well, now Kevin Pillar can be that guy hitting 250 and the rest of this team playing the way that they're supposed to play. So I think like ultimately you have to look at your big bats that aren't carrying the team that the way they... And I know you're talking about like Bautista and Donaldson still playing really well, but they're still playing well below expectation. Um... Bautista less so, but Donaldson's batting average is still way below than what we expect. Encarnacion's been hugely disappointing. Tulo's been disappointing. Martin's been disappointing. And I know Smoke and Saunders have played really well, but ultimately the struggles have been not being able to link hits together and runners in scoring position, and everyone's been struggling at that. So Right, but that doesn't come down to individual performance, right? Like that, If they all get hits all at the same time, all of a sudden our, our offense is performing well which means that it's not a problem of the offense. It's just a problem it's a problem of sequencing, which is all luck. Yeah, but then there's just too many games where you can't expect them to 
the hits to fall together when you get three hits a game, right? Like, what are the chances that those three are going to come together with a couple walks and you score four runs and win a game? But the chance, it, yes, if you get three hits a game, you're never you're not going to win many games. But if if all of the hitters are hitting at two fifty, you're going to get more than three hits a game, right? But like Kevin Pillar's hitting two forty. So that's what I mean. That, it's just like he's not the problem. But but that's what I mean. He's hitting 240, but he's getting on base at a 275 clip, which is awful. Agreed. And he can't. He doesn't hit for power. He he's he's not very good, <laughs> straight up, except for his defense. Which and is exceptional. They have a really good player in AAA waiting, Dalton Pompey. who also has good defense, but is a much better hitter than Kevin Pillar. And will be for his entire career. Like, maybe. Because, like, at the AAA level, sure. But, like, Dalton Pompey's been nothing but disappointing at the MLB level, except for base running, which he was amazing at in the playoffs. What was Kevin Pillar's average in Buffalo? Do you remember? It was pretty high. It, 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 was, was, it was above three, Like, 350, probably. Yeah. He was mashing in AAA. Pompey's only in 270. But With an on-base. But, he, but on he also base. walked. Like, this is the thing. Like, no, average isn't what you need to look at all the time, right? I'm like. Jose Bautista is hitting 232, and he's the best hitter on the team. I'd be more interested in, like, like seeing what Pompey could do if you want. But, like, like if you send Pilar, like, can you send Pilar down or is he out of that, like, he's option, right? Probably like, out of options. Like, I would Maybe rather lose, like, Carrera. I, I'm, but this is what I mean. I'm not saying lose. I'm, I'm, like, you don't just, like, release Pilar. No, I know. But, I like, trading him and hoping that Pompey is as good or better when there's no guarantee of that. Where at least, like, Pilar is at least Kevin Kiermeyer good. I guess. I think he's worse than Kiermeyer. But, but if that's true, if he's Kier- Kevin Kiermeyer good, but he's 27, he's not going to be Kevin Kiermeyer good in two years. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so using and th- that's my whole point here is is that dealing him now at the at what is close to his peak uh, value should be something that the that the Jays are looking into because in two years he's going to be just you just let him walk away like you say, which doesn't make any sense. Why would you Why would you let the guy? have two okay years for you, three okay years for you, and then just let them walk out into free agency instead of in a year that they're losing, get rid of them. I just don't know what you would necessarily get for Kevin Pillar that just like to sort of reset. Like what do you, what do you actually get for him is what I'm wondering. Maybe another instead of, arm? instead of riding it out in a way that like he might improve, get hot and then whatever for, like, the next season. Okay. Or for, like, like the rest of this season. Is all, is all I'm saying. It's just I don't know what you get for him. No, and I don't know what you get for him either. Um, I just think that it should at least be something that they're considering. If uh, they I'm can, sure. If they can get something of, of value for him, like Kyle says, like an extra bullpen arm or, say, a young starting starting pitcher that isn't a, isn't major league ready but can join the join the team in a few years when they lose guys like Dickie Hap and Estrada cuz really in th- in 2 years they don't have anybody else to walk into that into that rotation traded them all <laughs> David Price traded them all <laughs> anyway yeah. um we don't have to argue about Kevin Plower for the entire podcast <laughs> I think that they should trade Kevin Plyer. <laughs> On to the next ball. <laughs> that we're we're getting long here anyway. So, do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to mention before we sign off for episode six? No, I guess not. I guess my like one thing we didn't touch on with the Jays, I guess, is their bullpen. Um, and that you know they've taken a lot of flack, and obviously like the big. P- players have underperformed but if you actually look at the amount of games that they've blown it's pretty much like the ones that you can look at and be like oh they blew up like allowing one run in a one run game that happens to every team 
the ones where they allowed like four or five and they blew up and blew the game is like three times, which is pretty much what every team goes through. So it really comes down to hitting is everything else. So really, if these bats come around, which I think they will, then Jays fans shouldn't really have anything to worry about. Well said. Kyle, anything? I want a small little shout out to uh, Wade LeBlanc in Buffalo, who's not talked about at all, but is dominating. Everyone's talking about Hutch, how good he has been, which he has been, but LeBlanc has a 1.44 ERA in 56 innings and is averaging a strike per inning, which, sure, it's Buffalo and AAA, but wouldn't he be the first arm you go to instead of Drew? But regardless, he's having a great year, and congrats on the bounce back to that guy. Really, really good work, Wade. Um, I, I would love to see him actually get another shot in the major leagues, at least for a couple starts here and there. Other than that, I would just like to, again, tee up Raptors. You'll be watching it tonight. Game six, let's see everybody out at Jurassic Park cheering this team on to send it back to Cleveland and see if we can somehow sneak out a game seven victory and go to the first NBA Finals in Toronto history. This is Six Sports. This is episode six with Kyle, Andrew, and myself. Check us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on our site, sixsports.com, on Twitter, at six underscore sports, and pretty much any other social media around the net. Tune in next time. We'll be trying to get this out every week from now until Christmas. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>